0: You're listening to episode 33 of Fearless Rebel Radio. Before I get started, guess what? Happy one year anniversary to Fearless Rebel Radio. Yay! Thank you for being a loyal listener. Um, my heart is just so warm with all the feedback and um, love that you send my way. And for being a listener, I am just so overly and utterly grateful. I believe those words mean the same thing, but that's what we'll go with. Um, so yay, maybe I'll do something special for the anniversary, but not for this episode, uh, although it is a very special guest. Today, I'm talking to Annette Sloan, who is the creator of Wholehearted. She's a health coach, speaker, and yoga instructor, and she works specifically with teenage girls and parents to instill a good relationship with food and body image with them. So if you're a parent... Uh, you definitely want to stick around and listen to this because she's got some really good insights on how you can cultivate a good relationship with food in your children as well as uh, promote body positivity and for all the links that we reference in this episode you can head to summer forward slash frr-33 including a link to information about annette's upcoming mother-daughter retreat uh, which is happening on Sunday, June 28th. It's called Nourish, a mother-daughter bonding retreat. And you can find the link at com forward slash FRR dash 33 or just go to Annette's website, healthyteengirls.com. Before we get started and dig into this awesome episode, I just want to remind you that if you haven't already gone to summerinandin.com or summerthenutritionist.com, because it'll take you there anyways, uh, to get your free Rule Breakers Guide to Rockin' Your Bod with 10 missions that you can complete right now to ditch dieting and love your body, then hit pause and go and do that, and then come back and listen to the rest of the episode. So that is available for you for free there, and you also get access to my 10-day body confidence makeover. All right, happy anniversary. Let's get started with the show. Do you know where you are? You're in Fearless Rebel Radio, baby. I am your host, Summer Inanin, a certified nutritional practitioner, diet rebel, and food lover on a mission to help you feel hot damn fearless in your body. Fearless Rebel Radio is here to empower you to defy the standards and break the rules in order to radiate confidence, relish in your uniqueness, and live life fearlessly on your own terms. Every episode, I will help you to do this by sharing practical advice not-so-PG rated rants and interviews with fearless rebel guests welcome to the show Hey, everybody, I am really, really excited to have been introduced to today's guest because she is doing some really incredible work. And I know that you are going to love what she has to say. Today's guest is Annette Sloan. Annette is a Denver based health coach, speaker and yoga instructor. In 2014, she combined what she's learned from her professional path as a health educator with lessons from her personal journey in creating a healthy relationship with food body and self to launch wholehearted a business specializing in compassionate health coaching for teen girls annette loves empowering teens and women of all ages to find their happiest happiest healthiest most authentic selves and I know that we have a lot of mothers who listen to this show or just women in general who were you know significantly impacted by events in their childhood and teens that really formed their relationship with food and themselves today and so I'm really excited to dig into that with you so welcome to the show Annette.
1: Thank you, Summer. I'm, I'm really glad to be here.
0: Yeah. So before we get started, why don't you tell everyone about your journey and, you know, how you got to where you are
1: today? Absolutely. Well, I think my journey really started when I was a teen girl. When I was about 16, I was, you know, a healthy weight, healthy, healthy size, everything like that. But I thought I decided that I needed to be thinner than I was just from the influences of media, and you know, the super skinny pretty girls at my school and all those kinds of things. So I became very interested in being healthy, but I didn't really know what that meant. And I thought it was all about calories. I started to count calories all the time, day in and day out. I was thinking about what I was eating, how many calories it contained, adding up the number of calories I'd consumed that day and not letting the number get too high. So through the end of high school, that calorie restriction, I did lose some weight. I got very thin. Um, actually, lost my period for a while, and then I went to college. And you know, it had been a while that I'd been restricting, but I still decided I wanted to go to college and be seen as this very healthy girl. Because you know, I when you go to college, you sort of have this chance to reinvent yourself, and that's what I wanted to be. So I learned more. I took a nutrition class, and I, as I learned more, I started to set really strict rules for myself about what i could and couldn't eat so it wasn't just focus on calories there was more nutrition knowledge but it was also a very much a uh, rules that were i was imparting upon myself by, by force and it didn't take long for me to start feeling deprived and to start binge eating unhealthy foods in secret so then i was feeling uh, very you know having a tough time living this sort of dual identity where when I was in college, you know, socially I was putting myself out to present as a healthy person. Professionally, I was already developing in a direction of becoming a health educator. I worked at a fitness and weight loss camp for overweight kids for three summers. I wrote my thesis on childhood obesity in the United States. Um, so I was going along that path, but personally, I was struggling with this deep, dark secret that I felt like I couldn't tell anyone, that I didn't tell anyone at that time, which was that I was I struggled with food. And so then I graduated from college um, and I got a job as a wellness teacher at a charter school here in the Denver area. So I was teaching kids how to be healthy. And again, I put all this pressure on myself to practice what I was preaching and be that perfect role model of what healthy eating should look like in front of my students and in front of my colleagues. But I was still struggling in my own relationship with food. And this continued throughout my 20s, most of my 20s. Um, It would get better when life was going well, and when life was stressful or hard, I would turn to food more often. So finally, you know, I was all this time, you know, the decade of my 20s, I was looking for healing, and I didn't want to be encumbered in, in my shame and my secret anymore, but I didn't know how to come out with it. I didn't know how to. I was slowly making progress and changing my behaviors um, by coming to a different understanding through my practice of yoga, which taught me a lot about self-compassion, through coming along, coming, finding different resources that helped me to look at the whole challenge in a different way and to understand that there were good reasons why I was doing what I was doing. That understanding helped me to, to move forward as well. So then finally, in my late 20s, I decided to do a yoga teacher training. And this was an absolutely transformative, life-changing experience. Um, one of the things that happened, you know, aside from learning about the physical practice of yoga, there's a lot of spiritual growth that happens as well. And I bonded very much with the other women in my teacher training program. So one night I decided to tell them about my challenge and my struggle. So it was my first time coming out with that to anyone besides my husband and a couple other people. And that really changed, started to change everything. After that, I started to tell more people, and then professionally the job I was at ended due to lack of funding, so then I was figuring out what to do next, and I decided to take everything that had happened in my professional journey and my personal journey and start this business focused on compassionate health coaching for teen girls.
0: Awesome. Well, that's a pretty amazing story. And I think that a lot of women can relate to, to it and to, you know, kind of going down that path where, you know, it starts when you're a teenager and then it just kind of progresses and you're, and it becomes this secret that you're hiding. And it's just, it's really amazing that you were able to, you know, to release that. And, um, and find that peace that you were seeking. But what I find so fascinating is that it was really under the veil of of health. You know, like you you kind of mentioned a few times that you, you know, you you wanted to follow these rules to be healthier, like to be the perfect role model. But, you know, obviously that was probably rooted in a very different place. So where 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 did that come from, you know, that that you wanted to, like, quote, unquote, be that perfect model of health, but it was creating that distorted relationship with food?
1: That's a great question. I think it came from the fact that I was connecting my sense of self-worth with my, how healthy I was and what my body looked like. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I felt like if I, I needed to achieve that, a certain level of perfection that I had put forth in my mind in order to be worthy.
0: Yeah, and that's so interesting, you know, because I think that a lot of people just assume that, um, you know, that it's totally okay to have that identity as the healthy person, but that really, you know, you can have this kind of emotional struggle going on um, underneath if if it is something that is defining your self-worth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so let's start talking a little bit about um, nourishment. And because you and I were talking, we we talked offline about a week ago, just to kind of say, Hey, what's up? And uh, you, we were talking about the 11 phases of of nourishment and how we move through these phases as we heal our relationship with food. Do you want to talk a bit about that?
1: I would love to. Yeah, this is something I learned recently from, I'm doing a training now through the Institute for the Psychology of Eating, and this just kind of blew my mind when when it came through. So, it's not really the phases we move through in healing, but it's just phases we move through naturally in life, in our relationship with food, kind of Mm. depending on what else is going on. And um, there's, so like you said, there's 11 phases, and the first one is a cleansing phase. So that's when, you know, we feel like we have a natural and instinctive urge to clean house, you know, to rid the body of toxicity. And maybe we're also cleaning out stuff, getting rid of stuff we don't need anymore. We have a desire for a sense of renewal. Maybe it's a new start kind of kind of feeling. Might be letting go of things like coffee and alcohol and sugar and foods that don't serve us. Um, and, you know, there's with all of these phases, there's the fact that you know, it's a natural, these phases come naturally in our life, but also that we can get stuck in them. And when we get stuck in them, then that's not so healthy for us. So, you know, cleansing, there's a lot of people, I think, who can get caught up in, and I've been in this place too, where I get, in the cleansing phase, it's great when you get there naturally, but when you get there artificially, or you stay too long, it's kind of like about, Oh, we live in such a toxic world, and I'm worrying way too much about every little food that I'm putting in my body or every product that I'm using on my skin or every cleaning thing in my house, and it's creating all this stress, which is probably doing more harm than, you know, cleaning out, (laughs) really, the benefit of the cleaning out. So then the next phase is the building phase, which is when we are naturally you know, feeling our strength increase, and maybe we're exercising more, moving more, we have sort of an energetic upswing, um, might correspond to a time in life when we're expanding or feeling big or more full in who we are, hungry for growth. And during this time, we might find that we can naturally eat more food and we naturally desire more food, but we're not gaining more weight because we actually, we need more energy because we're in a phase when we're, we're building things in our lives. I definitely when I started my business, I was very much in this phase um, and again, the downside when this phase gets distorted we can we can stay stuck in growth mode and always trying to build 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 without ever balancing that out with you know like we were talking before we started to around more self care and time for rest and and that kind of things,
0: yeah um and,
1: yeah. So feel free
0: to jump in at any time. <laughs> yeah, no, that's interesting. Like I you know, the the cleansing one totally I you know, resonates because I just think there's it's I sort of went down that road as well and I see a lot of people going down. It's like it's like when you keep just keep going down the rabbit hole and it's like eventually you like if you're not living in a bubble on an island somewhere like you're you're impure (laughs) and Mm -hmm. I think that that can you know that can lead to some pretty like distorted behaviors for sure Mm -hmm. so what's after building
1: after building is this oh after building is the sustaining phase so that's when it's just sort of business as usual in terms of the body and nourishment and we're sort of just attending to our lives and we're in a groove and we're just, maybe we're not thinking that much about what we're eating. It's just kind of flowing in a natural way enough to, you know, eating in a way to accomplish what we have to accomplish and there's nothing to fix because there's nothing broken. Um, it's just, you know, life, life as usual.
0: Yeah. Like homeostasis,
1: right? Right, right. And then the emotional phase is one that I know very well. (laughs) Um, and that's, you know, when we, what we eat is driven by how we feel and, Sometimes this was really big for me to learn is that sometimes it's just going to be that way. I think especially for those of us where food tends to be our, our, I don't know if I poison is the right word, but
0: the coping our mechanism. Drug of choice, our, yeah. yeah, exactly.
1: Our coping mechanism, and I know that's not for everybody, but it definitely is what I turn to, and what probably what a lot of list, your listeners turn to. hmm And the emotional phase is is when you know there's really no escaping the fact that even though our brains know no matter how much our you know our inner nutritionist wants to do the right things our feelings are just going to dictate what we eat when we're in the emotional phase and that's okay <laughs> it's sort of necessary to surrender to that phase if it's just sort of a natural phase that we're moving through and we're not getting stuck there and then if we get stuck there then there's some work to do but yeah learning i go ahead.
0: Yeah, no, that's so I, I just like, I love that you said that, because I think that, um, you know, like we vilify emotional eating, like it's I, I, I know, I posted an article on my Facebook page, I think that someone had written like, that, you know, to, to not identify yourself like as an emotional eater, because then it becomes this kind of like identity that that you know perpetuates feelings of shame and guilt whereas it's like everyone just kind of eats emotionally and it's okay to do that you know but like you said it's just you know it becomes it starts to impact your life negatively when you get stuck there
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah cool yeah.
1: isn't that freeing to know though that it's okay at times, you know, there's
0: nothing wrong with it. Yeah. And I think that's like, uh, like, I always say this, but I think one of the biggest things I give to my clients is just permission that that's okay. Like, and it's like, what, you mean I can do that? Like (laughs) it's, and it's like, yeah, you can, like, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, it's just, it's really in kind of like how you react to it and the, you know, the, the, how it starts to impact your life. And I think if it's like your only coping mechanism and you are stuck there, then it, that's when it can become, um, problematic but it's, there's nothing wrong with it. Like, you know, I, we, we all do it. You know, everybody enjoys food and celebrates with it. Everybody's an emotional eater.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. And it can be such a great teacher for us. You know, now that's kind of where I am now. I said, I was doing a presentation recently and I told the people, I was like, i I feel like I'm 95% over my, my sh- struggle with food. I'm a 5% is there to keep me honest and to let me know when I'm out of balance and when I find myself really wanting to turn to food emotionally, then it's just, it's a great indicator. And I'm like, oh, okay, this is good to know (laughs) that I need to make some shifts.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's, yeah, exactly. It's just, um, I see the same thing about like body shame. It's like, you know, I never get rid of it completely because, you know, that's my coping mechanism. So I know when I'm feeling that way that it's like, okay, no, I need to take a step back and see like, what's really going on here. So I can address the real issue and just not get overwhelmed by, you know, that, that piece of it. And it's the same, you know, it's the same thing with food issues. Like if I feel like these urges to either restrict or cut things out or like overanalyze, mm-hmm. I'm like, that's something that I, I now I almost nurture those feelings because I feel like they um, are just my little indicators that something else is happening that I need to pay attention to. Right,
1: right. It's a gift, it really is.
0: (laughs) Totally, exactly, exactly. So then,
1: the next phase is uh, the celebration phase. And you know, that's when we're naturally attracted to pleasure through food, or um, maybe it's when we're on vacation, and you know, we're just, we're gonna eat at good restaurants and enjoy it, and there's gonna be no guilt or anything like that involved. Um, And, one of the distinctions here is, of course, the celebration doesn't mean going unconscious and getting out of, you know, feeling out of control. It's just a choice to eat and enjoy and <laughs> love what it is. Yeah. Um, and then the next one is the learning phase. And this is when we naturally seek to try new ways of eating. Um, I'm sure you and I and, and your listeners have all been there when you're, you know, voraciously reading all the books you can around nutrition and different diets, and um, and you just you feel good and energized from the new learning, and you're implementing things in your life, and it's like it's a positive phase. Um, it's naturally exciting. It asks us to expand and open. But when it gets distorted, we can stay stuck in our heads and forever repeating the facts of nutrition, but never really learning from our real world experience. Mm -hmm. So that's the balance, you know, like the outer nutritionist takes over and you lose the inner nutritionist when it gets out of of whack there.
0: Oh, that's so cool. Yes, that is so true. Oh my gosh. That's where you basically like you give up your you know, your power because you, you just rely on what everyone else is saying instead of saying like, okay, what's actually working for me and making me feel good.
1: Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah. And then the next one is the fanatic or fundamentalist phase. Um, another one (laughs) that I think is familiar to both of us where we are like, here is my diet and I cannot do anything that will mess with my diet.
0: (laughs) It's like almost like the perfectionist sort of.
1: Right. Yeah. Everything is very tightly controlled and, you know, it's, it's, you you revolve your whole life around your food and your eating. Mm -hmm. Um, and I know, um, I've been in that phase and I also know, you know, you see other people, especially, I think you're more involved in the paleo world. I tend to, I know a lot of vegans or vegetarians who are very much like believe that the way they eat is, is sort of holier than thou sort of mm-hmm. mentality and that's you know that's the fanatic phase too when you're like what the way that what i'm doing is the way that everyone should do it because it's the best way and it's you know yeah. so it can get distorted when we uh when we just you know it's affecting our relationships or affecting our health or anything else like that
0: yeah, and it can really prevent you from like you can miss out on things in life too, and people don't want to be your friend anymore. <laughs> I uh, it's really cool like going through this, I love hearing this because I'm like, oh my gosh, I've been all of these and sometimes like a few of them at once, I think. Um, right. In a neg- like in a in in an extreme way, I think some of them are good, and I think I've been in like positive states of some of them. But then also seeing how like I've then been stuck in each of them. That's this is this is really cool. <laughs> yeah,
1: I know that's why I wanted to share. Yeah,
0: like, oh. it's awesome. <laughs> All right, what's the <laughs> next one?
1: So the next one is the death face, and that's a time when, you know, from a diet standpoint, whatever we're trying, nothing seems to work, or we're feeling bored with food, maybe we're losing our appetite or any interest in food. Um, and, you know, this could be maybe we're we're sick, and we don't want to eat, or we're depressed, or in a personal rut, or, you know, maybe it's a signal of something else that's a dead end in our life. And this one's sort of, you know, it's a hard one, but it's sort of a necessary season, of the soul and um i i have very rarely lost interest in food <laughs> except yeah. for maybe when i'm sick and i really you know i'm nauseous or something like that but i've seen i can remember times seeing people i'm around like when my sister went through her divorce she wasn't like restricting from that kind of mentality but she just really she would eat like two bites of cereal in the morning and that's all she could handle she just had no interest because she was going through so much emotionally and I don't know if you can relate to that phase.
0: Yeah, I think it's like, I think it could probably, and correct me if I'm wrong here, because you obviously kind of know more in depth, but um, could it almost be when you hit that point of frustration where you're like, nothing works? Like, I see this a lot with women who kind of, you know, they've tried every diet and they're just so frustrated and they're like, nothing works. And so food has just kind of lost its pleasure. Um, You know, they don't even know what they like anymore. Like, it's just... And the frustration is there. They don't know how to eat. They don't know what they like. And so I don't know if that's that would kind of coincide with that phase as well.
1: Right. Yeah. Absolutely. I totally agree. And it's sort of maybe we come to that phase in a need because we have some sort of need to experience, you know, a personal or metabolic or dietary death in order to feel reborn again. You know, we have to get to that phase of frustration and nothing works in the plateau, and then it's like you get moved through that and then you
0: can come out the other side, but yeah, yeah. You can be reborn from it. I think uh, like, I think I've probably experienced this in a way where um, I, I've or maybe, you know, I move through this all the time is that I'll go through phases where like, all I want is like starchy foods. So I eat way more, way more starchy foods. And then all of a sudden I'm like, I can't look at a starchy food, you know, like if somebody mm-hmm. puts a sweet potato on my plate, I'm going to like run away. Mm-hmm. And and I just, and I, and that's when I know I'm like, all right, like just kind of, what do I actually want now? And, and then I move through a different phase and then I come back to the other. And it's just, that's why like, I always say you have to kind of go with the ebbs and flows of, of your needs because when you resist that, you, you know, you get stuck and frustrated and you're basically just not in alignment with what your body wants.
1: Right. Absolutely. Yeah yeah so the ninth phase is the healing phase, and that's when we consciously use food and supplements as medicine, so it could be you know when you have a cold and you want the chicken soup or it could be something much bigger, like you're diagnosed with cancer, and all of a sudden, you really want to reevaluate your diet and use it as a way to help you heal mm-hmm. um, so huge you know it's it's interesting because. I know and I've, you know, seen people around me and read books and stuff that, of course, diet can be, can make such a difference when you're trying to heal something, a really big illness or sickness like cancer. And it can be a beautiful time where we're giving extra care to the body and looking for ways to nourish ourselves back to health. But on the other side, when we distort this phase, we can be overly fearful of eating the wrong foods and we can limit ourselves by staying stuck in a specific healing diet. So one of the things about the healing diet that I think is really interesting is that there's a time and a place for it. And just because it works to help us heal, once we're healed, it doesn't necessarily, it isn't necessarily the best way for us to continue to eat after that.
0: Yeah. And I think the other interesting thing about that too is that a lot of times there's this perception and especially in the way that people like you know market their like other nutrition professionals or books they really market their programs or themselves as as you know you can heal everything with food like what's your problem we let's fix it with food you know and i think that it's also surrendering yourself to the fact that in a lot of cases, you can only just go so far and with food mm-hmm. and that, you know, there's, there's a reason why modern medicine exists and, um, uh, you know, or you have to look at maybe like, uh, you know, emotional healing as part of that journey as well. But, um, I can see how you, you know, someone could get stuck in that phase, you know, just, just like never resigning to the fact that maybe it's, it's out of your control. <laughs> Do you know what I mean?
1: Right. Yeah, I think one of the things that Mark David, my teacher in IP, says is that diet can be profoundly healing of diseases, and it doesn't contain all the answers.
0: Yes. Oh, that sums it up. (laughs) Perfect. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that's such a good quote.
1: Yeah. So, and then phase number 10 is the anything goes phase, which is pretty self-explanatory when we put all the rules aside. and. Um, You know, could be experiencing bizarre cravings or eating at strange hours, or maybe it's just eating one meal a day and feeling fine or, you know, not eating very much at all. Um, And it could also extend to other parts of our lives. So doing things that we normally never do, (laughs) you know, having unusual symptoms or desires and all bets are off, nothing makes sense. Um, I think I've been through that phase when I'm I don't know, when I'm trying to figure things out (laughs) and I'm like frustrated with sitting sitting in a struggle maybe and then it's like, I'm just gonna like let it all go and do whatever and usually it doesn't last for very long. You know, that's one I think I've moved through pretty naturally, but it's an interesting
0: phase. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, you know, I think I've gone uh, it, like I I don't know if this ties in, but you know, uh, in my in my sort of like restriction sabotage phases that I used to go through, the sabotage phases were just like that total rebellion, like anything goes and um, you know, and that never worked in my favor because it was it, you know, it it was coming from like a like a <laughs> a destructive place. Um, but yeah, know it's, it's interesting because, but I can also see how it, you can, it can be a healthy thing because obviously one of the things that I teach is, you know, is, is letting go and eating, you know, eating what you, what you want and breaking down those, you know, those rules and, and limitations and, um, that anything goes phase can sometimes be scary, but it's often a very healthy place, a healthy pattern to go through in order to get to that place where you do find balance
1: right yeah and maybe it's you know it's counteracting if you've been like just like you said has been your experience and and me too when i put that anything goes face in the context of when i was been cheating that was a very unhealthy mentality to be in that phase mm-hmm. and i can totally relate but it's maybe you know it's counteracting for uh stop being so uptight and locked in our small minds about what we should and shouldn't eat so it's sort of the universe bringing us to you got to balance that out with some just some madness
0: (laughs) yeah totally seriously (laughs) totally and i think the anything goes phase can go out of control when you know you're going to be putting yourself back in lockdown phase you know like when when you know that well i'll just start over on monday or i'll just fix this by you know at the end of the month like i'll do another 30 days of clean eating or whatever it is that you do like that then that anything goes phase like comes this crazy madness time because because it's pretty you, you're preempting yourself for restriction which is you know anytime you do that your body obviously just like completely goes overboard
1: mm-hmm. yeah one thing that helped me immensely when I was healing is the idea that if I would look at a food and want it and when I could start when it was like oh well if you're gonna eat that then then that's cheating and then the rest of the day is gone and whatever and all the stuff and I have to eat it right now because it's not normally part of my diet and whatever you know that whole rabbit hole but when I started to tell myself oh there's that food and I could have it now or not I can have that food anytime that I want and then all of a sudden the power of that moment and having to have it in that moment is gone and it was much easier to choose not to have it if I if it didn't feel like it was going to serve me yes
0: exactly exactly that's awesome. So, what's the last phase, or the last? Um, sorry, the last stage? phase is the
1: surrender phase. Okay, and that's when that's a time when life is act, asking us um, just to surrender to what is. You know, maybe it's it's a huge upheaval in our lives. Like, you know, our spouse or our child or someone we love is in an accident, is in the hospital, or um, somebody loses a job, or you know there's big, just big life changes. And all of a sudden you have to go into survival mode or let's figure out how we're going to make it through this mode and diet and food becomes your last priority and just letting go and surrendering to that and accepting, saying that's okay. (laughs) You know, I'm, I need to take care of other things right now and I will just surrender to what is awesome.
0: Yeah, that's a good one. And I can see how that can be really positive sometimes. And also, um, can sort of keep you in overwhelm
1: as well right right yeah so when we distort the phase we can stay locked and in, into you know we know when it's like emergency time and then when when that's going on for too long and when we're allowing ourselves to stay stuck we yeah. know, you know that we know when there's that difference is what yeah. that difference is
0: yeah oh cool i'm glad i'm so happy you shared all that i um I would love to do that course. It's on my list of things I really want to do. Um, <laughs> <and That's> amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, just getting a taste of that. But I just I think it's really cool. I think I think so many people can kind of relate to those stages. And I think just kind of seeing them for what they are, brings awareness to it, and then allows you to kind of say, like, all right, what do I need to do to either step out of this phase or, or move through it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so I want to switch gears here because I know you work primarily with teens, which I think is amazing. And I get questions from mothers all the time asking me, you know, like, how can I promote a healthy body image with my child? How can I help promote a healthy relationship with food? So, um, I do have one specific listener question and then we can, we can kind of kick things off with this and then dive into it further. But, um, I had a woman, a woman, A woman, a woman, a woman write me. And she said, I have three daughters, all of whom have food allergies. I have a ton of food sensitivities as well. Um as well as eating disordered thinking. We talk a lot about quote unquote cheating and not eating too much sugar, etc. And my girls see me restricting my eating a lot. And I worry about what they are learning. What can I do to stop them from having food issues? I know this is like, you could probably cover a whole episode with this question, but what sort of, you know, what invite, what is your answer to that?
1: Well, I think it's a great question. And I think that listener um, should give herself a pat on the back for, being aware that you know what she's doing and whatever's happening is you know in a family whatever the parents teach the kids are going to learn so first she already has that awareness that, that they're going to take something from this and she wants to make it positive um so I commend her for that and then the next thing I would say is also the fact that she's one of your listeners means that she is probably trying to work on her own relationship with food and that is very positive as well and I think that's Absolutely, the best thing that moms can do um, in modeling for their daughters is, if they're struggling in their relationship with food and body, is to do that work on themselves. Um, and they, their daughters and their kids will see that. And you know, they might not totally understand it at the time, depending on how old they are and uh, that kind of thing. But I think parents, you know, just like I was a t- when I was a teacher, and I felt like I always had to be. Perfect and like I had figured it all out. I think parents sometimes put themselves in that in those shoes too, but Mm. I think we much better serve our kids when we are we let them know that we are imperfect and here's what I'm struggling with and here's what I'm doing to work through it. And when we model that consistent commitment to self-growth and evolution, then that's the best thing we could possibly do for our kids.
0: Wow, that's really awesome. Uh, (laughs) That I yeah, that's that's an amazing answer because that requires vulnerability. (laughs) Um, And I think, and I think you nailed it. Like you, as a parent, I don't have kids by the way. um, So I speak kind of just out of observation from my friends and family, but you know, you, you, and from what I think would be, you, you want to almost lead that perfect example, but it's that, that almost like pigeonholes your own development. Is that kind of what you're saying?
1: Exactly, yeah. And when you're, I think it's good for kids to see, I mean, in some ways, it's good for kids to see their parents struggle. Not in a sense of, you know, I think it's hard, it's hard for them too, but it's better than the alternative because the kids, when they grow as kids and when they grow up to be adults, they're going to struggle too. And if they think, that their parents never struggled, then they're going to have some pretty unrealistic expectations for themselves. And that's going to set them up for a hard road.
0: Mm, Yeah, that's a really good point. So, um, just kind of, you know, digging into this a little bit more because I know she talks about, you know, like quote unquote cheating, like, and when I was, I was growing up, like there was no sugar in my house. You know, I was not allowed to have, Uh, Cheerios, because they had sugar in them. So, you know, whenever we were, quote, unquote, allowed sugar, it was very much under the guise of like cheating, you know, like, you can, so for example, for me personally, on Halloween, I was allowed to, um, like go trick or treating and have candy, but it was like, I was only had that night to eat it. So it was like, I could eat as much as I wanted in that night, but then it was like, it was gone. So that kind of taught me to like eat as much, like it basically taught me to binge on, on sugar. Right. Right. Um. And so, you know, because of that, that rebellion, like being told what to do, you know, being told that like sugar is bad. I can't have that, you know, that, that, prompted me to rebel like I'd go to my friends' houses and eat their entire cupboard because I was like, "Oh my god, sugar." Um so how can a parent instill, you know, healthy habits in their child without triggering that need to rebel without demonizing food?
1: I think that's a great question. And I would advise, I think it's it's all about making it about nourishment. You framing the conversation in terms of you know what? Um, you know, sweet daughter or son, as a family, we want to, you know, you are the most important thing in the world to me. And I want you to grow up to be happy and healthy and strong. And I want you to, but more important than that, I want you to always feel like you are worthy. And because you are worthy, I want you to know how to feed yourself well, because when you can feed yourself well, then you'll have the energy to give your gifts to the world and develop into the, the fullest and best version of yourself, you know? So it's coming from that place of, of worthiness instead of from that place of I'm only worthy. If I eat this way, have a body that looks this way, et cetera.
0: Mm, Yeah. So you're kind of like turning it around then.
1: Mm -hmm. And then not being the fanatic, you know, not getting stuck in that fanatic phase, like um, as parents, you know, and what you're doing in your family, I think there's, if you can bring your kids into the food conversation, into the nourishment conversation when they're really young, have them help you cook, have them go to farmers markets with you, um, maybe give them an assignment when they get old enough that they're in charge of cooking once a week for the family or something like that, but have it be from a place of joy. Like it is such a pleasure to choose foods that we enjoy eating and then to cook them and to sit down together as a family and eat them, whether that's, you know, the tons of vegetables and super healthy stuff, or whether it's, you know, cookies and cake or, you know, that kind of thing, whatever the food is coming to it from a place of this is going to be something that's, will bring us joy and bring us pleasure and bring us nourishment.
0: Mm, That's awesome. And so I'm thinking, you know, like words like cheating and like bad and like, you know, to, to, to kind of really like policing, like bringing in that like food police (laughs) mentality is probably not the best approach in terms of communicating. Like you, you want to almost, um, like you want to empower your kids to sort of figure some of those things out on their own. Is that right? Right.
1: Yeah. I think you want to empower your kids to, to pay attention to how their food makes them feel. So, you know, this, listener said that her daughters have a lot of food allergies and food sensitivities i would frame that as a a gift even though it's a struggle and it may be hard especially as a kid when you're going to school and birthday parties and stuff like that and if you can't eat some of the stuff the other kids can eat but that is that symptom is your body giving you a gift of telling you how to best nourish yourself and to put put it to your kids in terms of how is this cop you know what are you learning from this this challenge and how is it helping you to grow and maybe it makes you you know more empathetic and understanding for other kids that are different in whatever way they are you know kind of helping them to to go down that path and learning the lessons they can learn from from that and going back to what you said never making it about cheating or we're going to eat the bad foods now for a little bit and then we're going to go back to the good foods and, and all of that. Just making food is food, not attaching our self-worth to it or putting it into categories of good and bad, but saying generally we're going to choose to eat the healthy foods more often as a family because they nourish us and they help us to all of us to become the best people we can be and then the foods that are less healthy but that give us tons of pleasure we'll include those at times as well because because we enjoy them and there's nothing wrong with that either
0: that's awesome oh i love that i think that 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 whole little statement is just going to be really powerful for a lot of people because i just know so many moms struggle with that Um, and so, yeah, let's talk about, uh, you know, like mother and daughter relationships and, you know, instilling a positive body image, um, because our body image is really shaped by a lot of those experiences that we have in our childhood. And so much of that is absorbed from our parents. So like what kinds of conversations should parents be having with their daughters about body image? Like, are there any particular topics that you would suggest they talk openly about to promote a healthy body image?
1: I would just say that, you know, parents should be aware of how they are looking at themselves and the things they're saying about their own bodies, and then how they are looking and and describing other people, because the kids are going to learn from that more than anything else. So if parents are making comments about, oh, he really let himself go, or, um, you know, the way she eats, she doesn't take care of herself, you know, whatever it is, really framing Never making any comments that could be judgmental about other people's bodies. And then, you know, in the conversations with just making sure that that door is always open in terms of when, they, when the girls get old enough, and boys too, but especially girls when they get old enough and they start to notice, and sometimes it's really as young as like first and second grade even, but they start to notice different bodies and, and show a preference for looking a particular way, making a point to point out. Um, how many different kinds of beautiful bodies there are and that none of them are better than, than any of the others and also making a point to expose them to all kinds of bodies. So I, I told you about my recent experience. I went to a nude bath house.
0: Yeah. Talk for, about that. Yeah. Yeah. It was my own
1: exercise in, in body image and, um, I went, you know, several years ago. A friend had planted the seed in my mind, and she said that that was something she had started doing. I really enjoyed, and I was like, "Cool, that's great for you, but I would, I would never do that."
0: <laughs> can you just can you just explain what a bath house ha- is to maybe people who like have this like seedy perception of it, oh, <laughs> including <yes>. myself?
1: <laughs> I think it's much more common in Asia and in Europe. Um, but it's just a place where you, it's like a spa, sort of, and you go in and and there's a sauna and a steam room and a hot tub and and you just go through, you know, you do everything but everybody's nude. Um, so it just takes away, and it's all women, at least, I don't know if there's places where it's co-ed, but the place I went, you know, they have women's days and men's days, so you're only with your own um, sex and and. Does that make it sound less seedy it's really popular. yeah it's like it does a yeah. Kind of thing. <laughs>
0: yeah yeah no please I needed I needed I needed you to do that to me because the only one that i'm I'm aware of was I had a, a kind of a distorted uh reputation <laughs> let's just put it that way it was like anyways I won't go into it but (laughs) carry on (laughs) so yes so it's kind of more like a spa where people the women don't wear clothing (laughs) much better so how was that experience for you
1: it it was wonderful you know I was a little nervous and I went there with the intention of being comfortable enough in my own body to be naked around other people Um, and one takeaway from it that I didn't expect was that exposing myself to all these other women's nude bodies makes that like, oh yes, this is a reminder of this is what real women look like. And we get so conditioned to the images we see in the media and stuff like that. And and we think, oh, everybody's supposed to look like that. But when you purposely put yourself in an environment where you're seeing real women's bodies, it's an antidote to that. So I think even, you know, my friend that originally told me about the bathhouse, she said that she went there one day and there was a a woman with her daughter who was probably only nine or 10. And I think it'd be really cool for moms to take their daughters into those kinds of environments um, so that they can also have that antidote to here's what your bodies should look like to here's what real bodies look like. And then they develop a different understanding and a different way. They're not comparing themselves to the, you know, the impossible image of perfection.
0: Yeah, that's, uh, I, I I think that that's so important. You know, when you think about uh, like just, uh, you know, 90% of the images that were exposed to represent, like, I don't even know, like 3% of the population or something. Um, if you think about kids, like always being on the internet, or, you know, watching TV, reading magazines, it, it is so distorted. And like you said, I just, I think it's really, that's a such a cool way to, to expose them to um, diversity. And, uh, and that's, that's, that's awesome. I I, I challenge, I challenge women to, uh, to take their daughters into the that kind of environment that's really cool um and i think it also just shows that you know you can just be comfortable in whoever you are like seeing other women kind of just walking around like that you just you kind of make that feel normal instead of something that um you know you have to hide and be ashamed of
1: right it was really empowering for me to see you know it's just like a being at a coffee house or something like the way tons of women were socializing and stuff and but there were there was no pretense because everybody's naked and you're just connecting in a real way without any of the I don't know the clothes (laughs) the social barriers that get in the way sometimes
0: (laughs) that's really cool yeah there's like a there's like a nude beach that's kind of close to my house that um like where I just moved here and I'm like (laughs) tempted to like kind of experiment this summer but we'll see I won't tell anyone when that's happening but (laughs) um that's really cool and I think also um you know one of the other things is to really focus on like accomplishments versus appearance you know I think that it's it's so common to when you see a little girl to be like oh you're so pretty you know but um it's it's also really important to 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 not do that because you don't run up to like all the, you know, boys and say like, oh, you're so handsome. I mean, sometimes you do, but it, you know, it's, it's important to move away from that and just to, to kind of disassociate like, you know, your, your value and, uh, from your, uh, from your appearance, you know, and to really focus on accomplishments too. mm
1: mm-hmm. Absolutely. And and to mix it in. I mean, you don't want a girl to never hear her parents say that she's beautiful. Yeah, of course. But you don't want that to be the only thing she hears either. <laughs>
0: of course. Yeah. Do you think it's important for parents to have conversations about um, like, you know, the photoshopping that happens in the media, like to, to kind of, you know, call that stuff out? Like, is that an important conversation to
1: have? Yes, I definitely think so. There's an awesome TED Talk by Cameron Russell. Have you seen it?
0: Uh, I don't know if I've seen that one or not. I'd probably know if I started watching it. It's Cameron Russell.
1: Uh-huh. Okay, I highly cool. recommend it to any any moms that want to have this conversation or just learn more themselves. She's a, a model, um, very successful, Victoria's Secret, Sports Illustrated, well, maybe not Sports Illustrated, but, you know, like all the runways, all the magazines, and she did this very brave TED Talk where she talks about the truth behind the images. And she shows images of her, here's me in real life on the same day that this photo was taken and everything that went into changing it. And then she also says openly that she tells young girls when they say, Oh, you're a model. How can I be a model? I want to be like you. And she says, I don't recommend that you be like me. (laughs) I think there's so many other things that you could do. Um, so I showed that talk clips of it in, um, i do school assemblies and presentations around town here and it's always really powerful for the girls to, to hear somebody that they would see as, you know here's the pinnacle of success in, in feminine beauty and here's her message which is not what you would expect
0: oh is she the one that says i won the genetic lottery something like that yeah Yeah, okay I have seen that that's uh yeah that is a good one I'll link to that in the in the show notes for people that haven't seen it so um yeah that's that's cool I also uh really really recommend the documentary misrepresentation I don't know if you've seen that have you seen that one that one's really amazing too yeah
1: I know of it and I am
0: sorry to say I haven't seen it yet oh it's on Netflix it's so good yeah 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 like honestly like like, I know people say this all the time, bump it to the top of your list, but I think it's like 90 minutes and it's really, really good. And I actually recommend that one to, um, for mothers to watch with their daughters, especially like teen teenage daughters, because it's, uh, it very, it very much like would, would also reson- resonate with that, um, with that age group and, and kind of really empower them to see, to see things for what they are. So yeah, that's cool. Awesome. Well, um, as we start to wrap things up here, the last question that I like to ask all of my guests is what is the most fearless thing that you have done? Mm, and it fearless. might be that nude
1: bathhouse. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I don't know if there's a if you can do anything, in a, anything big in a fearless way, that's an interesting way that you're framing that. Because it I is, think everything it is.
0: It's actually, okay, so what is the, the scariest thing that you have done? I really should just reframe the whole question because everyone just answers it as like the, the most fearful thing that
1: they actually did. <laughs> right. No, but I think it's interesting because I've had people tell me, well, you did this and it seemed like you were fearless. And I'm like, well that's interesting that it seemed like I was fearless because I was definitely not. fearless. Yeah. But I think um, it was coming out with my story for sure. When I decided it was time to tell the world about my secret struggle with food, I did it in a big way because I was about to launch my business and my website and the story was going to be there. But I wanted to tell the people I knew in a more personal way than just like, Hey, here's my website for them to go and, and read that. So I um, the Institute for the Psychology of Eating was actually doing a contest to give away some scholarships where you would make a video about how their work had impacted their, your life. And I had been looking for a way to tell my story and then this came along and I was like, well, here it is, here's the opportunity um, because their their insight and everything I learned from them had helped me a lot in my healing journey. So I made a video and I sent it out to everyone I knew my former colleagues, my friends, family, put it on Facebook um, where I just revealed myself and said, yes, I've been presenting myself as this very healthy person for so long. And here's my secret struggle that I'm now coming out of the closet with. Um, That was definitely the scariest thing I've ever done.
0: (laughs) Yeah. That takes a lot of courage to do that for sure.
1: But it was, I'm so glad I did because, you know, as, Brene Brown said, you mentioned vulnerability earlier, and she's one of my heroes. Um, We can't, you know, shame thrives in darkness. But when we start to come, you know, bring out our story, bring out our secrets, then the shame can't be there anymore. And I've definitely found that the story, which used to have so much, I used to hold so much shame around it. Now that's gone. And now it's a story that I'm actually... C is an essential part of my evolution, and that I'm grateful for because it's brought me to where I am today, where I can help um, other people with these struggles.
0: Yeah, awesome! I love it. That's so good. That's so good. So, where can uh, where can people find you, and, and how do you help people?
1: So, uh, my website is healthyteengirls.com, and on Facebook, Facebook.com/slash healthyteengirls. I don't have any other social media yet, but I would love for anyone who's interested to come check out my website, sign up for my email list. I send out, I blog regularly and um, send out newsletters twice a month. Always tips, you know, my mantra is to always help people to live happy, healthy, and authentic. And I love that that is my that is my mission and my purpose in life so if that appeals to you then please go to my website sign up to be on my list I would love to connect with you I also have a couple of free uh, freebies on my website one is a report of how to five things you can do right now to be more beautiful and that's more aimed at teen girls but it's good for everybody and then I have one specifically aimed at parents around Um, are they role modeling a healthy relationship with food for their kids, which ties back to the question you asked earlier. So parents are interested in that, then definitely also sign up. And I'd love to share that with you.
0: Awesome. Yes. Uh, I think that a lot of people will be heading your way to grab that because I certainly get get asked that question all the time. I really, I really, really do. So I'll be, I'll be kind of like, to sending them, sending them your way. It's good to know that that you're doing this work because I do think it's so important. I mean, that's kind of like that's when that's when everything goes down is in those teen years, you know, um, <laughs> that can really kind of send send you on a different, you know, trajectory. And so I just, um, yeah, definitely if you're a parent or you're a teenager, or you just want or interested in this stuff like me, then definitely check it out. Cause I think we can all benefit from this anyways.
1: Right. I agree. And one other thing I want to mention is I'm, um, will be starting to put together an online program called empowered moms, empowered daughters, and that will debut later this year. So right now I'm, you know, I'm Mostly Denver based, although I'm open to coaching teens um, online via Skype and that kind of thing. But I want to expand my reach and I want to work with more moms so that they can, like I said earlier, if moms have it figured out, daughters will have a much easier time. So if they're interested, if any moms are interested in learning about that when it comes out, then also sign up for my list to, to stay up to date.
0: Awesome. Oh, that's so cool. Oh, there's such a need for that. So good for you. I'm glad that, glad that that's going to be coming out. I'm excited cool. Um, and we'll have to have you back on when it does so that you can talk more about this stuff and we'll, we'll get some more like listener questions. Cause I'm sure there's tons of them.
1: I would love to. Yeah. It's been such, so great to talk to you today. Summer. thank you. Yeah.
0: Well, thank you so much for all of your time and all of your insights and, and, uh, and sharing your story. Um, you know, I will link to all of these things in the show notes, but just, you know, everyone can kind of remember healthy um, And again, you are Annette Sloan, just in case people forgot your name. (laughs) And they can Google you and find you as well. So thank you again so much. You're amazing.
1: Thank you, Summer. You're amazing too.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Rock on if you like what you've heard, please head to iTunes and leave me a review. I would be so grateful if you took two minutes to do that for me. And don't forget to head to summerinanin.com or summerthenutritionist.com to grab your free rule breakers guide to rocking your bod. Until next time, rock on.